Welcome to Timely Wisdom with Drs. Alice Bradford, Sarita Wright, Brenda Wallace, Carolyn Carlisle, and I am Venice Burns. You can watch us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Follow us on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Today, our guest is Dr. Stively Smith, Finding My Voice. This was recorded on December 1st, 2020. Um, we have a scholar in the house, one who is faithful to the text, one who is faithful to the community, faithful to her family. She's a mother. She is a wife, and I t- and she is an assistant professor of New Testament at Boston University School of Theology. She's also a resident scholar at Historic Metropolitan AME Church in D.C. When I tell you she's a teacher, she's a speaker, a preacher, a scholar, an author, an author, she is that and a bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to put in the comment section. Welcome, Dr. Shively Smith, because wait, 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 wait. Before you put welcome in the, t- in the comment section, put on your seatbelts. Embrace yourself and get comfortable, really, because we need a word. We need to hear what God is saying through this woman of God. Amen. Amen. Hello there, Dr. Shively. How are you doing, Dr. Shively Smith? Doing well. So good to see all of you. We are so glad that you're here. And um, thank you for saying yes again. Absolutely. Uh, we, we got so many comments and so many um, questions about can she come back? Can you bring her back? So we're glad that you said yes to coming back. Um, we want to. Did you want to tap on what um, the end of what we did on last last time we were together, Burns? Did you want to tap on that? Um, thank, thank you, Dr. Bradford. I, I think that um, in, in your thinking of coming around our topic for today of finding my voice, mm-hmm. um, that, that that it is the bridging of the gap from where we ended. Um, at our last conversation, and that there were so many um, who were listening, and, and at the end, you jumped into the, what, that scholarship and making that scholarship relevant uh, to to so many that were listening that have been silenced, that deal with the pain of their voices being silent, of being within a system that the system um, wants uh, their finances. They want them to support, but not necessarily to speak or to be out front. Mm-hmm. And so um, we kind of start on today with, with finding my voice and, and trying to bridge that gap from where we were the last time, uh, um, Can Women Preach, um, mm-hmm. was where you, you were with us the last time, and to how it is that um, um, from this understanding that, that women can find their voices. But before we get into all of that, just greet us. How you doing? <laughs> how is everything? <laughs> I am doing, I am doing well, uh, especially considering as we said, all of the circumstances and um, just the challenges, particularly that our communities and families and friends are facing. And so um, I also, I recognize, um, you know, I recognize how now um, the small things matter. Thurman would talk about it as the mundane things, right? The routine of the, the daily round is the language that Howard Thurman would use. And how I am appreciative these days of the routine of the daily round, the routine of my daily round, because um, I recognize that um, family members, friends, colleagues, Folks that are very close to me actually uh, are uh, not able to experience their daily round um, because of economics, because of health, because of proximity, because of all in any number of matters. And so, um, yeah, I'm in a space of just being thankful, but then also being aware that I have a responsibility to be attentive to others who um, are impacted in ways that uh, at the moment I'm not necessarily impacted in my immediate, in my immediate household. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I find it very difficult. I was talking to someone, I find it very difficult to imagine. I find it very difficult to understand so-called people of God, mm-hmm. um, spiritual people, well, they say they're spiritual people, 
who lack empathy. Oh my God. Who are unable to be, who feel like it, who who immediately say I'm blessed and highly favored and all of this, Mm -hmm. as if there's not a pandemic or crisis, as if our communities and our people aren't bothered. And even if it's not in your immediate household, if you don't have anyone or any communities that have experienced this, that are experiencing this, then there is a problem with your proximity that I call into question. So I've sort of been, I've been writing about that today, actually. So, so, So that's on the front of my, that's at the front of my mind right now is the recognition that proximity is, uh, the proximity uh, that this scenario tells on us in terms of our proximity yeah. to uh, real to, to the to the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where I am right now. <laughs> I'm loving it. I am. How how do we and in that same vein, how do we find our voices um, without feeling isolated? Yeah. I think we find our voices without feeling isolated by taking the courageous leap to talk to someone and to talk to people. I mean, I I think I think that the one thing that's happening with this social distancing piece is everyone is having most people are, are, are forced to be in one place a little bit longer than what they may be used to. I know I am, I'm used to coming and going and that has just not happened, right? And I don't care who you are, when your when your world slows down in some way, it is a real, enca- it is a real opportunity to encounter yourself whether you want to or not. Yeah. Uh, and some, some of us, I suspect, uh, have to reckon with the fact that we have not, um, we have developed a practice of isolating ourselves. So, so, so I think we've developed a practice of isolating ourselves. Um, and we're women in ministry. And so I think some of us have developed, we have developed practices of isolating ourselves, of silencing our voices from each other, because some of us carry real pain and real scars um, from the journeys real, I would say, church hurt and institutional hurt. We carry real family hurt, uh, heart hurts. I like to say heart hurt. So family, friends, heartache. I mean, the friend hurt, work that uh, we may not, we didn't realize the degrees to which we have developed the practice of being silent, Mm -hmm. isolated, because um, it was a mode of survival. It was a mode of, I wouldn't say healing. I would say it's a mode of survival and keep it, keeping it moving. And so one of the ways in which I think we need to start thinking about making finding our voices is finding ways for us to disrupt those practices of silencing ourselves and isolating ourselves and distancing ourselves we, we can send a text very quickly to another person and say, I'm sorry, I haven't talked to you, but I had you on my mind. I mean, what does it mean to take a chance, a, a, a leap of faith uh, and seek out relationship with each other? I was thinking, I was, I, there's, there's a story I was thinking about in the Bible related to this. Um, and part of it's because of what I was doing. Some doing, I was doing something thinking about this. But in Mark, in Mark chapter one, Jesus is healing is healing people, right? So he's in the synagogue in Capernaum, and he's healing, and then and then he moves to go to Peter's house to mm-hmm. to really get rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's like, I've done all this healing. Now I'm going to go and get some food and libation and recline. And Jesus shows up there and is like, they got sick people up here. I got to heal them. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there's this way in which when you read this, uh, when you read the gospel of Mark, 
<laughs> you you it's I think it's funny, so I understand Ooh. other people's made up, but I think it's hilarious when you look at it. You're like, Jesus is like, okay, I went here, the people needed to be healed, now I'm gonna go over here, and they need to be healed there. Now I'm gonna try to go yeah. out into the field. So if you go, he goes out into the open countryside to try to get peace. The people need healing there. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? And Jesus is really disappointed. Because they can't find space for him to be alone. And he can't. And so instead of getting upset <laughs> with it, which you're thinking, I'm thinking I would be upset, mm-hmm. right? You see this Jesus, Jesus leaning in, right? And like and 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 do and doing the work of not just healing, but connections. Every person that he heals, he is now restoring to community. He's restoring to them having voice and place and he's attaching himself to that restoration so i think that finding our voice has something to do with us beginning to break the habits of 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 not talking of not connecting of thinking that the work of life and healing happens simply by us not being attached i'm gonna leave it there and let you guys ask me some clarifying questions other ways I have a question for you, and it's and and it's not as definitely directed to that. But we have a New Testament scholar um, yes. on with us on today, <laughs> and so I, I want to ask you about a very specific passage of scripture coming wow. out of um, out of First Corinthians, First Corinthians, <laughs> so chapter fourteen. I was gonna say and, eleven or fourteen. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, fourteen and verse thirty-four. Mm. Where, 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 what has been used? We're talking about, you know, using speaking up and speaking to ourselves. And, and this is a New King James Version I'm going to read it from. And it says, this is 1 Corinthians, all y'all who are listening, chapter 14, <laughs> verse 34. And this actually comes after talking about prophets and tongues and, and all these wonderful things. And then it says, let your women, let your women keep silent in the churches, <laughs> for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. Mm. So so does that does that passage of scripture mean that, that all women are supposed to be silent in the church? Now I'm gonna put myself on mute. Ah, you're just gonna leave me out here like that, Reverend Dr. Burns. Okay. So uh that that passage has multiple problems with it. Um some so that are in different ways. So one level of problems for us are going to be social and theological. I'll get to that. The other problem as a biblical scholar that I would say is it looks fishy in the manuscript tradition. So we recognize that we do not have the originals of any of the writings of the New Testament. Like we don't have the original for the Gospel of Mark. They're all copies of copies of copies and they're in different forms and fragments. The manuscript tradition of 1 Corinthians in this verse switches the location of that verse um, from anywhere between uh, verses 33 to 36. So when I look at the different fragments, the earliest fragments that we have of 1 Corinthians, that verse is located in at least three different places, which tells me as a historian of the text that this verse was probably not a part of the original. This is a creation and an interpretation of the scribes that were handwriting and copying these different versions of the text. So the first problem I'm, with I'm, this, I'm, I'm, I'm clutching my pearls. You yeah, talking about I know. the inerrant well, word of the Lord. Go yes, ahead. I know. But, but the, what's so funny? What it's not? What's not? It's not funny. But what is actually what what is actually important to notice is you actually do see this in your English translation. So when you look at something like the NRSV or the NIV. And if you ever pay attention to the fact that there are these little superscripts letters that are raised, and then all of a sudden it points you down to like a little phrase that says other authorities say, other manuscripts say, other other manuscripts don't have, they're telling you that there is a, a discrepancy here, it, that it, it's, it, it's a moving target in our earliest versions, which means 
every single translation of this verse, really of the Bible, but every single translation is an interpretation. We're having to guess where this might have been in the original. So that's the first thing. That's a textual problem that you can take to the bank. It's historical and it is a fact. I know we're all talking about facts being relative. This is not relative. This is this is what it is in the Greek tradition, period. So there's a textual problem there. The second problem that we have to wrestle with when we're dealing with the biblical text, which is always so interesting to me, I'm going to be a little bit, might be a little bit disruptive when I say this. It's always very interesting to me how this comes, how this plays out in our communities. The second issue is the issue of cultural equivalence, cultural equivalence. So stay with me. To what degree is the world of Paul and Corinth, the world of 2020, December 2020, I'm on the East Coast, (laughs) on the East Coast at almost 4.30 Eastern Standard Time. To what degree can I assert that the world as Paul envisions it and experiences it is equal to just like my world, right? You can't. They're not exactly the same. How do you know they're not exactly the same, Dr. Smith? Well, A, they speak a totally different language. (laughs) So if any of you know Koine Greek, I hope you know that you cannot go to Greece right now and speak Koine Greek, the Greek of the New Testament, because it's not going to get you anywhere, right? So they're, they're speaking a different language, they live in a different in a different different geographical location. They are engaging in completely different social norms than us. And so to insist that the world of Paul as he is laying out is in fact equivalent to and should be duplicated by us in our world Um, particularly as it relates to women's voices and preaching is a problem if the brothers aren't willing to go back into slavery. (laughs) So in other words, that world that is immediately issuing women can't speak is also the world that underwrites and is built on the insistence of slavery. It's not slavery based on racism. It's slavery based on imperialism. But what I'm getting at is the same values that Paul is speaking of in terms of women's subordination is the same values that the biblical text will speak of as slavery. And as African-Americans, the history of African-Americans, we re- we've always read against the grain of that. But I don't I always struggle with why we read against the grain of that. Our ancestors always read against the grain of that. And we today struggle with reading against the grain in terms of women's voices. That 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 demonstrates hypocrisy not in the biblical text, but in us. So what is what is going on with us that women can't have voice? Now let me let me push this a little bit. What is happening in 14 is different than what you see in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is clear. Women are speaking, prophesying, and engaging. And the issue is, do they need to have something on their heads or not? That, again, is an issue of culture. It is not an issue of God. It's an issue of culture. It's equivalent to how do we celebrate Christmas, Kwanzaa or whatever. I mean, like these these are cultural characteristics that are not related to the revelation and movement of God. He is navigating and negotiating culture in a community that struggles with getting along in the first place. So that's that's so one of the ways in which I want to break that down. First Corinthians 14 is to say we know that 14, especially read in in light of chapter 11, is not saying that women aren't preaching and speaking. We also know that the verses in chapter 14 as a scholar are contested verses. These are verses that the manuscript tradition is different on, depending on who you look, which, 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 
which fragment I'm looking at, all right? And then the third thing that we know is that there is always a cultural negotiation that we are doing when we read and interpret the biblical text. What does it look like to be people on the way, on the road? The journey looks different. Roads look different. Transportation looks different. The language looks different. The world of the biblical text that Paul is talking from and talking toward is not not our world. And yet the revelation of God can continue. What, what The other piece I want to push on in 1 Corinthians, I love the book of 1 Corinthians because I think it's a great way to talk about all the different dimensions that are being negotiated, um, that Paul is being negotiate, that Paul is negotiating here. Um, the, the thing I want to talk about with Corinthian, Corinthians with this is the way in which Paul is a responding to a letter that he has received from the Corinthians in which they are listing all these cultural questions that they have. So he actually ends up saying, so I, I don't have it in front of me, chapter six or chapter seven, I think it's seven, but chapter six or chapter seven, he ends up saying, in regards to the letter that you wrote, and he starts hitting these different issues, right? So A, Paul is, this isn't a word from on high. This is Paul responding to the immediate congregational questions that the Corinthians have because they're threatening to break up with each other. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing that's important to recognize is when you read Paul in Corinthians, he tells you over and over again, that he is making his own call. So he, to the point that sometimes he gets frustrated and he says to them, that's what I say to do, but do the best you can. I'm paraphrasing. So there are times when he throws up his hands at, at the issue because it, some of it is mundane, is mute to him because he really wants the community to stay together. So when you put this passage in conversation with the larger task of what Paul is ultimately trying to do, he is putting out fires so that he can keep a community together. And the easiest fire for him to do in chapter 14 is to try to say that women need to, these women need not be disruptive in the congregation, even though he's already affirmed that they are prophesying, they are speaking in tongues, they are giving words of prophecy. Um, so I'm going to put up, um, 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 uh, I'm going to put a, a pin in that and and bridge it to the larger issue of the household codes in the New Testament. Is that okay? Does that help? Okay, so when I talk about the household codes in the New Testament, I'm talking about that stuff that shows up in Timothy and Titus and in my book, First, P First Peter, where it ends up saying, uh, you know, slaves submit. First Peter is oh, the one that I always know off the top of my head. Slaves submit to your masters, be they good or bad. Uh, wives submit to your husbands, indeed only, not in word, right? Husbands honor your wives, be they, be they almost unto the Lord is what he's actually pointing to. So what's that all about? That is all about, the, again, the cultural caste system of the ancient world. It is the, it is the system of hierarchy, by which those people, that society is organized, that these believers find themselves situated in. They are situated in the first century Roman world. They are not situated in the 21st century United States of America, right? Uh, not to say that this is, you know, necessarily ideal <laughs> either, but... <laughs> We're in a, we are in a pandemic and our communities are the major targets of that for a reason, right? So this is not to say the 21st century is ideal. It is to say that there is cultural distance, historical distance between these two spaces and what they are trying to figure out, what they are trying to ne negotiate is how do you craft a new a community, a new identity, a new faith tradition that has a different way of viewing the world, a different way of people relating to each other that is totally different from the society. And yet you don't put a target on their backs so that they, they don't experience the Roman version of lynching, which is crucifixion, because they are considered 
by being different, insurrectionists. They are considered rebels. They are considered people who are going against the state, right? So what you see the household codes negotiating is less about God's order of things and more about the fact that these are human beings in real social context who are doing something radically different in how they relate to each other. There is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, right? That, that it doesn't matter if you are of the master class or the enslaved class is what they're saying. We're all gonna have table fellowship together and nobody has to wait their turns, Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 11, that's something that Paul's talking about around the Lord's table, right? So how, what do they have to do out in the world in order to keep the community safe? So we miss, we immediately want to map onto our present reality, the cultural world of the past when it just does not fit. The good news of the text isn't this stratification of women being quiet, certain bodies of people being enslaved. The good news of the text is that God's faith and God's revelation is only beginning in the biblical text. It points us to the vision of God, recognizing that the vision of God outlives what Paul, what Paul is able to see. And yet he knows that there is more to it. It outlives even the current system of the Roman Empire. It, out, it outlives what they can't imagine, right? And so you have to think about, you have to think about the ways in which this is not our world. They are negotiating their faith in a world that has particular expectations and that will respond violently, if and when the communities present as different, even hostile to the orders of the day. Okay, I'm gonna stop there because I can get into a big piece. So ask me a question to clarify or slow me down or return me to something. So you, you said negotiating their faith, negotiating their faith. So so how, how would you, and we're talking about finding my voice, how would you encourage um, this listening audience here to negotiate their faith in a system as Cheryl McDaniel has put here, culture right. is being used to silence women in many pulpits by those who fear the That's power right. of a woman's voice. How, how do you how do you negotiate? How do you how do we do that? Yeah. So I think the biblical text is exceptionally the history of the Bible. So I'm gonna say in my canon, the history of the New Testament is exceptionally helpful here. Um, in this very creation. Number one, no writing of the New Testament was written for an individual person to sit in their little prayer closet and read the Bible quietly to themselves without speaking it out loud. I know I'm messing up some people. So let me, let me just say. I should have wore my pearls today. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're going to take our cues from the biblical text, the, the very writing and purpose of the writing of the biblical, of each writing of the New Testament was for it to be heard and experienced in a crowd, among believers, among a collective. Most of the time, when you read the Bible, the New Testament, and it talks about, particularly in the letters, and it talks about you believe, you have faith, you have peace. That's never a singular individual you. It's never a second person singular you. I'm from Kentucky, Georgia originally. So I'm going to say it's a y'all. It is always in the Greek, you all believe. You all have faith. You all love. Unless Paul's talking to a specific individual, most times all of those you's in the letter are directed at a group. So the first lesson that we have to learn in terms of our voices is that the biblical writing itself models that this faith is a collective faith. It is a faith that gets voiced, interpreted, reasoned, and proclaimed in community. Paul's letters, believe it or not, mostly were not written by Paul, by himself. Paul was writing with Timothy. Paul was writing with Silas. Well, she's making that up. Just go and turn the oh, the first verses of Corinthians. The first I made me some pearls so I can of Thessalonians. So even the letters and the writings are collective endeavors. Our faith 
is greatest, when it is communicated, when it is lived out, when it is reasoned with and interpreted and reinterpreted again in the current moment in community. It was intended to be reasoned in community. Now, as women of faith, we actually have a legacy in the biblical text. So when you turn to somewhere like one of my favorite passages when I need to be encouraged. Romans 16. So I'm actually going to turn to that myself. Romans 16 verses 1. As women of faith, we have a legacy of what that looks like. And who does that work? Romans 16 verse 1, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you all. So there's never a singular you, that's a you all. For she has been a patron of many and I'm a, a patron of many and as and of me, myself as well. So Phoebe, let's be clear. He's not just saying, oh, say hello to Phoebe when she so, shows up. What that looks like, and historically, as the biblical scholar on the on, on, on online, Phoebe is the carrier of the letter. She is the person who's going to read the letter in the community. And then she's the person that's going to stand and reason with the community to interpret what, what Paul really meant and how do they live this out and do this. The person carrying the message, leading the people in the faith conversation they need to have in the Roman churches to talk about how they live their faith out in these cities or what their relationship is to the work of Paul and other apostles is a woman. Dr. Smith, Dr. Smith. So are you saying, are you, you saying to us that when it's saying assist her and worthy of the saints and, and she's been my helper, it's not, um, I'm from the Methodist tradition, so we're not talking about the stewardesses or no. some other church, just being the mother of the church, put my white on my little, my, no. my little darling. Absolutely not. That's a completely different language. Here, when Paul talks about her mm -hmm. as a patron, she, at number one, let's be clear, the, probably one of the most, the most resourced people in Romans right now, it looks like it's Phoebe. So when he calls her patron and succor, helper, he's talking about her as being a person who has resource. If she's able to carry and read and interpret the text, you're also talking about someone who has um, literacy in the ancient world, which is which is um, uh, which is very very small which is less than 4% of the world. So you're talking about someone who has resources, you're talking about someone who has literacy, and you're talking about someone as a helper to Paul is not second in command. Paul's network, believe it, although we talk all the time about Paul, Paul, Paul's brilliance was not that he sat at the top of a hierarchy and all of these people were under him. Paul's brilliance was that he crafted um, a, 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 a network or a web of partnerships, equal alliances, even, and, and even more so across all of these pieces. So across all of these different statuses and locations, which we miss, we like our triangular hierarchies that have someone at the top and then everybody else falling throughout. But that is not what made Paul who Paul is. What made Paul who Paul is, is that when you continue to read Romans 16, he starts naming all these different people, governors, um, people who are serving other people, I mean, of all different levels. Levels, different spaces from different regions, neighborhoods, regions of the state, um, as people, as partners, friends, equals with him. So when he starts by naming Phoebe, not only does he name her as an equal, it is very probable that Phoebe had more resources, more clout, more pool, and even capacities in terms of dealing with social issues than Paul did himself. Uh, and we miss that all the time because most of the times people want to imagine that Paul is reading his own letters to these congregations and that's not what's happening at all. The second thing is most people want to imagine that Paul is writing the letters by himself. We're not clear that Paul knew how to write. Uh, so, so there's a way in which we have to do what I would call some relearning of our biblical history and some relearning of what it is uh, that the biblical text is actually telling us about not just the place of women, but the role of women from the very beginning of the faith 
that has continued now, I would say in our ancestors, in the women that have come before us, in, in us, and in the daughters that will come after us, that there's a way in which we have to start doing some fresh work of retrieval. One of the people I want us to retrieve is Phoebe. Phoebe was an equal, a friend to Paul, not subordinate to him. Phoebe was a woman who had resources. Phoebe was a woman who clearly had literacy. Phoebe was the woman who came and, and led the church, led the Roman churches into re reasoning about the words that Paul wrote in Romans. She was the leader. The, uh, the word I'm looking for is facilitator in the collective conversation that the letter was intended to create. That's very important. So when you talk about how do we start retrieving our voices, I think we need to start by retrieving our voices, by opening our voices up, by retrieving the model of what it means to engage in God talk that the letters of the New Testament themselves testify to. We reason and come to clarity in our faith by talking with each other in context. Uh, so I'm going to leave it there. Ask me something else to, to clear, have me clarify or go a different way. If I didn't get to what you were asking me, Reverend Burns, push me again, please. You got to it. <laughs> you want to talk about the bulldozer and the, um, the courage um, as your mom? Mm -hmm. I, um, I think that... Um, what I'm proposing and what I'm talking about, it requires uh, requires a bit of um, courage. Uh, for some of us, it requires courage because we have to have the courage to push against our to push against our own formations. My original, my I am not. Uh, uh, I, I'm not originally AME, although I'm proudly AME now, but uh, I'm originally from Southern Baptist, from Southern Baptist tradition uh, with, uh, you know, the men in my family being pastors and the women not even able to uh, pray if there's a, a man in the room. So, I mean, I come from a very different sort of tradition in some ways uh, than what, than what I'm living out now. So, Learning this, learning this and paying attention to the markers, the the breadcrumbs that the biblical text leaves me to show me that there were women always in play, active and present and doing more than simply uh, being in the kitchen. And don't get me wrong, I love cooking. So, you know, that's <laughs> being in the kitchen, but they're actually leading and facilitating and engaging the congregation, convening the communities of faith in a real way, what meant that I had to have the courage to push against some of my own formations and some of the ways in which the stories of the biblical text or um, even the imagery of the biblical text may have been told to me only in part. I see in part only partially, only got half of, even if it was halfway right, it wasn't the whole story. And so what does it mean to get curious about the biblical text and the footprints of women's voices and leadership that are actually present in there that tell us there is more to the agency, the necessity of women's voices and collaboration than what some of us may have been initially introduced to or formed in. My mother taught me that about the power of being courageous. And I would say the power of being courageously curious about the biblical text and the voice and place and the opportunities of women for women in the text. Dr. Wright, I think you have a question. Mm -hmm. Dr. Shiley, my question is in regards to Philippians 4 and 3. And it says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. As that's one of my very favorites, um, but it's often used to, quote unquote, silence women and try to um, just pervert the, the text. Yeah. I, so I, what's so funny is this one. Um, this one always perplexes me um, in terms of 
how it gets used that way. Um, because here he goes, I entreat you, Udiah, and I entreat Seneca to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask also true companions help these women who have labored side by side with me in, in the gospel together. I always I, That has always perplexed me in our tradition because I say to myself, I don't think you could get any clearer than to say some someone is working side by side. So if he said Mark and Luke, like, so it, I, I, yes, I ask you also true companions, help these men who have labored side by side. Like, so if we just switched out the word for men and you say, yeah, then you want, what does that mean? They're like, means they work hand in hand with Paul. They were companions. So how does that change if it if we turn it into women? So I have always been perplexed by what we call the history of interpretation with this text and less about the text itself. So the text itself to me is very clear that there is this, again, what I talk about, this partnership, this companionship, this equal alliances. That's what we mean by friends. So when the biblical text uses language of friends, we think, oh, it means we're friends. That's my girl. I text her whenever. No, no, no. The language of friends in the cultural world, of the, in the ancient world, to be called the friend of the emperor is to be called an equal to the emperor, is to be called that if you do something to the friend of the emperor, that means it's equivalent to doing something to the emperor, which means you're not gonna make it, boo, tonight, <laughs> right? So, so when Paul talks about side by side and is assigning friendship to these women, it is the same as the, as the friendship and the authority that he's giving to Titus and to Silas. But so it's not the text that's the problem. The text is us. The text is we are on this side of history in which patriarchy has been and is still real in our different contexts that we are negotiating, just as we have all the other isms, racism, sexism, xenophobia. And so there's a way in which that has shaded what is very clear in Philippians of partnership, of equality, of, com of companionship, of equals. I love this passage. I just, I'm always perplexed by how it gets translated. So how do you mess? How do y'all? I always say if you want to mess with somebody, mess with people on it. Just reread re it and and put in men, and let people tell you what that means because they're gonna. I've done it, so I know it works. It's a great Bible study trick when you're working with people, right? You read this passage, you don't tell them. You know, you're not having them look at it, and you say, "What does it mean when Paul says?" And you 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 substitute out substitute out women for men. And inevitably, people immediately assign equality to the people, to the players, right? And then you say, so let me read it to you what it really says. And when you add women, then they change. And so you realize the issue is not the text. The issue is us. And then you have to start doing your work with the people around that. Thank you very much. That's mm -hmm. powerful. Um, courageously curious um, as we uh, words that you you used earlier and cultural equivalence. You talk about that, and so um, for for all all of us that well, um, uh, yeah, that we're primarily in a church. Um, it, it has a few women that are in leadership, but primarily um, it is it is male. Um, and then what, how, how, how do you, how do we navigate, how, how do we become courageously curious and culturally equivalent um, in this time of where in our mind we say, yeah, we, we know we can do that, but everything around us is still saying, but that's not for you. Yeah. The, 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 the thing that I would say is transformation and God's, the, the transformation and healing and new ways of being that God has for us never happen. They don't happen passively. So when I read the New Testament and I read all these letters, because I spend a lot of time in the letters and I read Acts, for instance, as well, there's nothing passive about uh, what, what 
these faith believers are doing, everything is intentional. Everything is strategic. Yes, they're led by the spirit. We can absolutely, they're led by the spirit, but they're led by the spirit to be strategic. <laughs> and so one of the, one of the things that I always say is, uh, you know, it's easy to ignore one voice and one reading, mm. but the more voices and perspectives, two, three, four. So this is where I talk about, this is what I mean by finding our voice as a collective. We as women in the church, regardless of our roles, need to start taking seriously what it means to talk to each other and to strategize and to be intentional about what it means to be in faith space and to claim our right, our voices, our interpretive perspectives, our leadership, and to claim it together and to make sure it's heard. One of the one of the stories that I love um, the most from the Obama administration. Not trying to do politics for real, but I, it's one of my favorite stories uh, to always I reflect on is so Obama had this administration with um, at the time I think um, our current elect. Uh, president and vice president will um, overshadow him on this. But at the time he had uh, the, he, he broke the glass ceiling with women in the upper level, in the cabinet, in the upper level position. So you would have more women than you've ever had in historically in, in the white house spaces and cabinet administrative spaces come into these rooms <laughs> that they have historically not been in in big numbers right uh now in these rooms with the boys you guys know i'm using that right and they strategized that since even these well-meaning male colleagues and allies that they have were oblivious to their formation to talk over them <laughs> right? Or to talk past them. Like, and these are their friends. These are the, the, the I would say the woke brothers. <laughs> and, then, and so they said, okay, we got to help them be, be their better selves. And so they strategized that when they would go into the boardroom, they would echo each other's words. So if someone said something, they became the echo chamber for the other, and then they became the echo chamber for the other to the point that it started what? It started changing the culture. It started retraining the good brothers, how to listen to them, right? How to hear their voices and take it seriously. So what I, so part of me when I read First Corinthians, not to go back to that, but when I read First Corinthians, I think it's funny because I think, what if what was really happening that was causing all the problems for the men in the Corinthian church, not even Paul, the men of the Corinthian church is that the women had decided we have the spirit too, and we have something to say. And they decided to become an echo chamber for each other. And so they became the echo chamber so much so that the boys had to write a letter to Paul and ask him to tell them to stop talking so much because they were not used to the women being so vocal and front and center. What is so interesting about that? So just to go back to 1 Corinthians, is if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you discover that the original letter that came to Paul came from a woman. It says Chloe's people told Paul. So we wouldn't even have a Corinthian correspondence at all if it wasn't for a woman sending word to Paul that stuff was happening. So again, what does it mean for us to take our cues from the biblical text that show us that part of our faith heritage in the biblical text is that women know how we know and should be practiced and how to be faith-based echo chambers for each other. That that is the tradition of our faith that comes to us in the New Testament that has been silenced, diminished, and overlooked. And yet it is there. If you look for the fingerprints for of it, if you look for the breadcrumbs of it, I think that's how we build, how we build 
um, how we begin to shift things in our context. We begin by committing to be echo chambers for each other. We begin by choosing to reach out to each other and to prepare ourselves for the spaces that we enter in in our faith communities that aren't necessarily used to listening to us by saying, okay, now what's the plan here? What are you, what, what, what part of this passage are you going to pick up? What part of this passage am I going to pick up? Now, you know, if I say something, don't leave me out there by myself, help back me up. I mean, like we have to have some agreements that we are going to play back up for each other and that that is a part of our faith tradition. Wow. Wow. This has been a wonderful hour. Wow. You all thank Dr. Shively Smith um, for her time with us. Any closing? We have about two, two and a half minutes. Any, any, uh, any other closing statements you want to give us before Dr. Bradford lets us know about our guests yeah. next week? I just want us to remember it is our faith heritage and it is our heritage as women of color for us to figure out ways to be uh, in relationship with each other, to take care of each other, to listen to each other, to support each other. We, we, we can, we are strongest together, always have been and always will be. And we must have the courage and the humility to reach out to each other and link hands and do this faith walk and this faith work together. And we can do it. I believe it. I believe it. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Dr. Smith, thank you so much. You have blessed our souls yet again. Um, Linking up together and loving each other. Our next next week we have um, none other than Reverend soon to be Dr. Kokesha Bailey Robinson. And she is, the subject is answering my call. My God, answering my call. We love you. Come back next week at the same time, same place. Come on back. Timely wisdom. Bye-bye. Stay safe.